Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. You know how this works. We watch movies separately, then we talk about them for the first time on the podcast. So Mike, everyone's got a, a secret shelf of movies and books, but a secret shelf of movies, of movies they've read about, movies they know about, but they've never actually sat and watched from beginning to end. This week's movie, Diabolique, the 1955 thriller, is one of mine. All I knew about it was that um, two women murder a guy in a bathtub. Uh, I hope people out there don't think I'm a rube. It's just, it's one of those movies I never get around to seeing. I watched it last week. I instantly texted Mike and said, we have to do this for the show. Mike texted me yesterday and says, I just watched it. What are we recording? Well, Mike, we're recording now. In our first segment, we talk about overall impressions. What was yours? If you told me this movie was a thriller, which it is in a, in a sense, I would not have attributed to it the amount of charm and world building that goes into making this film. There's some thrillers that restrict themselves only to the two or three characters that are involved in the scenario. And, and part of that is sort of like a tour de force, putting all the wood behind the arrow, not letting any air vacuum sealing this, the, the scenario. And I like those kinds of movies very much, but this was a full on, almost Hitchcockian world build from the beginning with uh, humor and life and interesting characters uh, that I think was made to play off of the scenario that, that's going through uh, the, the two women. There's, there's almost unbearable normalcy uh, in this film. And one of, my, one of my moments has to do with what I mean by unbearable normalcy, but uh, I found that there was a really interesting ensemble cast and I did not, based on that world building and just the simple good technique of this film, I did not expect the beautiful visual fireworks uh, at the end of this film. The, the director simply is just not, it's just making the, the most basic, boring, beautiful camera moves and then all of a sudden turns on the magic in the last the last 10 minutes. Uh, so we'll, spoiler alert for later, but th that's my overall take of the film. I didn't expect to be as charmed by it as I was. I was totally taken in. And then just when I thought, okay, I got, I, I got it now, uh, the director, no, you don't. Absolutely. I'm so glad you liked it because I loved it as much as you did. I think what you just said, the key phrase was world building. And that's a great phrase, Mike, because that's exactly what it's like. And, and you said before, I love those Agatha Christie kind of films where you're given you're giving uh, an algebra problem and your job is to solve it before the detective. Those are very, very satisfying. But here you really do get that world of the school and you get the porter and the kids and the other suck up teacher. And you really, really get that world. And one of those moments is, is mine. I'll save it for segment two. But the thing that I loved about it so much is that um, it's funny you mentioned Hitchcock, you know, because Hitchcock lost the rights to this apparently by hours. And then so the authors of the novel wrote Vertigo for him. So it certainly reminded me, it had all these great Hitchcockian elements, right? Like the wicker crate and, the, and how big a tablecloth was, showing the bottle of whiskey. I couldn't stop thinking of the coffee and Notorious, you know, which he gets the statue to weigh him down, you know, draining the pool. That was a great suspense thing. Um, people complaining about the noise in the pipes reminded me of, you know, of rope. There's all these great moments in there. But what, what, what I loved about it so much is that to go from a satisfying murder plot to an actual whole world, right? You know that there's gonna be, um, you know there's gonna be a murder plot, and you know there has to be some kind of twist, right? So you get the lead in, you get the tension, they murder him, there's all the back and forth, and then there's no body in the pool, right? So then you don't know if, it, if is she going crazy, is she hallucinating, you put on all your film hats and 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 you get more and more sucked in, but you get sucked in because 
the movie teases you with whose side you're on and it's because you get dropped into this world. And I think it's, it, it does so much more than just the average thriller, not to mock average thrillers, but it's so beautifully done. I like Rope a lot. Uh, I've seen Rope Me too. Know, 20, 25 times. It's a great movie and I love Jimmy Stewart, but uh, that is kind of the ob the opposite of what I'm talking about here. And it, and I, just as you said, the, the, chest slash table that they wicker, use in, yeah. in rope is meant to be exactly like the the wicker basket right but the that is a good element but it's a good element for 20 minutes and then it's it's out of the movie it's it's mm -hmm. it's not relevant anymore and yeah I, it's it's almost it's what rope would be if you allowed time into the equation and you allowed other people into the equation and you were if you allowed real life to happen while this party is happening, that's a beautiful mixed tension. And if you had asked me be before really liking Diabolique or seeing it for the first time, I would have said, yes, that's the appropriate way to do a thriller. Don't destroy the sense of real life happening to add on to the tension. And the, the people that wrote and made this movie really understood that there's a, a, a different kind of tension that happens from allowing the rhythm of life going on to move past yeah. this this thing that we're all wrapped up in emotionally. Yes, rope is more like one of those algebra equations I said before. Rope is rope is is it's the thrill of rope is how clever it is, and and this and this the, the cleverness of the actual answer to the to the what's going on in the movie isn't what makes the movie good. The whole movie does not rely just upon the last ten seconds. Yeah, exactly. It's um it's what happens if you took a locked room scenario, but you right. put it in the in the center of Grand Central Station. Right. Okay, good. So let's talk about real life in our moments in segment two. Okay, so in part two, we're talking about our moments, our illustrative moments. Dan, let's go. So mine is when, uh, to, you, before you talked about how the film establishes this whole world of, of just awful normalcy in so many ways, right? So my moment that, and there's so many moments in this film that I really, really was impressed by is when Michelle makes um, his wife Vera eat the rotten fish and he makes her swallow it and then you see the tear roll down her face now that's a great bit because it establishes him as as a terrific bully and i know the word bully gets um thrown around now everybody's accused of bullying right but he's such a perfect bully because he doesn't look that intimidating if you saw him on the street he doesn't look like bluto from, from the popeye cartoons right but it establishes their relationship so well that she still eats it and she still swallows it and then he makes her swallow it right and then later in hindsight when the movie's over and you're taking to walk around the block, you realize that that um, you know Henri Clouseau, the director, has done the same trick with you, has done the same thing to you as Michelle does with his wife. Is that um, he, so to speak, you know, bullied you into believing that Christina really does want her 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 paramour, that Christina really does want Michelle dead. Um, by the way, she acts so assertively, and the way she you know she tries to get Vera to come aboard. Like, are we doing this or not? Is that you're kind of bullied into believing something, into into believing that what's going on. You know, really is and I just think that's a wonderful thing that film that only films do in that way exactly and one other thing just to take on what you said and then I'll get into my moment is sure. I love the way that information is established in this film there's almost um information and and the plot 
are given to the audience the same way they are in, in like The Tempest, for example. It's, it's not the way that you would do it in 2020 with deeply emotional conversations where, because the, the one thing about those conversations is they don't happen in real life. You right. very rarely look somebody else in the face and tell them exactly what you think, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God, but it happens in drama. But the, the way that you get through exposition in Shakespeare is two guys who are played by relatively good actors with some funny lines later say like, isn't that the mistress? Yes, writer character. Yeah. And you're like, boom, all right, yeah. I got it, I got it now. Right. And one of the things is that you trust that network of people who's talking and we've we've referred to in the, these first two segments so far as real life, but we're only shown squalor. There's no, there's nothing that's actually real about real life. You've got the retired, you've got the retired detective who's solving the mystery, but who, who looks like he's an alcoholic shambling bum. He's, he's like Columbo, if Columbo weren't charming. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the, the teachers who, who either drink or uh, yep. have, have other problems. My moment takes place in um, the teacher's house when they, when they go to actually commit the murder, they go to the house she owns and the folks who live upstairs haven't paid their rent. Right. And they live in that one little room, the, those <laughs> apartments at the top of her house. Um, and, and it's one of these moments of, of normalcy where they're murdering him downstairs. So the, the husband is complaining about the noise of the water because it's over uh, the Jeopardy, the French quiz show right. that he's listening to. <laughs> and he, he's leaning into the radio and he says the answer of where this river is and his wife blows him a kiss because it's it's so off the mark. It's it should be tension relieving, but in a way, but it it's not a it's not tension relieving at all. It just racks everything up a couple more notches, and at the same time, you, you don't want to laugh. You you know that that's not how you should feel at that particular moment, but you can't help it because these two are played so charmingly. But at the same time, they're also terrible yes. because they can't, they're liars and hypocrites, and they you know they're they're so glad that you came for a visit, but they can't wait for you to leave. Um, and they're so helpful when she leaves and, and almost discovering the body in the wicker basket. And so it's, it's just, I think, emblematic of what the movie is trying to do the entire time that it's on. It makes you think that there's a network of real people that are going to give you information. And that's what I alluded to in part one. But really, the, the squalor and indecency of the, of the other people that are in the film uh, give you a false sense of trust in them as well. It makes it easier for you to be taken in, I think. And you are fully taken in. And that, I love what you said about blowing the kiss because I think in, in um, you know, somebody would say, well, that's comic relief, but there's nothing comic about it. There, there's something wry about it. And there's something ironic about it that makes you laugh as a viewer, but yet it, it just makes what's going on more unbearable because you're not seeing it. It's like the, it's like the murder of Duncan and Macbeth. It, but it's, and it's beautifully contrapointal in the same way too, because they, yeah. there's a husband and wife scene going on downstairs. And then you go upstairs. It's like, well, what is successful marriage like? Successful marriage is like, well, instead of bitching about each other, we're just going to bitch about everything else. And that's, that's about the best you can hope for, you know, and it just goes on until you get old and you're answering French Jeopardy questions and exploding the kiss. All right, I'll see you in part three. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. 
Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So welcome back. In part three, we always talk about the very end or the title. And certainly this is a movie with a very interesting ending. So Mike, what did you make of the very end? Like I said, this is where the real cinematic fireworks happen. The first time you see the movie, diachronically, uh, as you work your way through the movie, you think that the technique is in the performances that are coming from the other actors. You think that the technique is coming in the exposition, all the things that we've been talking about, how charming, but how tense it is. Uh, that Our two uh, main characters give really wonderful performances, uh, balancing uh, panic and resolve between them. And when one is panicked, the other's resolved. And it's great. And then you get the scene where Christina is all by herself. She thinks that the ghost of her husband has come to usher her into the next life because she's she's killed him and she feels guilty about it. The typewriter's going off. She's, she's being stalked by something, a room to room in the little apartments where she lives. And then you see the body in the tub and it rises up. And you, you used a phrase that I like too in part one, which is things that only movies can do. And there is something horrific and so beautifully shot. You, you, you get to a point in your life where you're so jaded that you think certainly a movie can no longer surprise me, but the, but the way in which they have him rise up, I don't know if they, I don't know if they had him slide down and they shot it in reverse. I'm not sure exactly how that technique was achieved, but it is beautiful technical mastery. And that's the that's the one last thing it was lacking. Hitch, Hitchcock puts himself into every single shot. He reminds you that he's behind the camera. Here, the director wants you to forget, except for those last 10 minutes, it's all technique, it's all bravado, it's all fireworks. And that is a beautiful, immortal shot of that guy's body rising up out of the tub. Yeah, it, re- it reminded me of, I love how you said, um, it, we're so jaded, we think a movie can't surprise us anymore. And even when your brain, I was thinking so, I'm like, well, what's going on? You know, like, it's so much fun. Like, so the, the body's not there. What You're like, oh, that's a great plot. But what's going on? What's going on? And only until the very last, you know, and I'm a, I'm a big, big sucker for movie plots, you know me. Like, I'm the last guy to figure out what's going on in a movie plot. But even even I, towards the end, I'm like, well, it's got to be, I wonder, if, I wonder if it's, you know, Nicole and the guy, they're trying to scare her to death. But, you know, um, you really do get to see, like in Death Trap, right? When they try to scare scare her to death, you really do get to see someone scared to death. But I think the reason it's so great is because it's terrifying. It truly is scary. It's not just her being paranoid or she has a heart condition. When he rises up out of that bathtub, you know, you're watching a movie and you think to yourself, "Oh my god!" And then he takes out the contacts. That that one that wonderful thing in his eyes. So I think that is something that only a movie can do is put you into her spot there. Let, let me ask you something. I want I want to read you something really quickly based upon, the, you know, the the quote unquote you know twist at the end. So you know that Roger Ebert has this great series of essays called The Great Movies, where he rewatches all these movies and he writes about them. So here's what he said about, about Diabolique. And he, he praises it. He says it's wonderful. But here's what he says. I just want to get your reaction to this. He says, the famous plot of the movie usually deceives first-time viewers, at least up to a point. The final revelations are somewhat disappointing, but Clouseau doesn't linger over them. Diabolique is so well-constructed that even today it works on its intended level up until, say, the last 30 seconds. What do you make of that? Yeah. 
that movie works that movie works all the way through that movie i could i could write you an index card that says he's still alive and that last shot you would still find shocking nobody well, sees you it, it can be perceived with the mind nobody sees that first shot that last shot for the first time and does not react to it very true very true because even i mean did you did you catch on earlier did you have a suspicion that he wasn't dead or when she was being stalked and somebody used the typewriter and, yeah. and the inspector had um, made fun of the way that he used the typewriter, I said, okay, I get it. And she's got the heart condition. And yeah. I also read there's, there's other great plots that involve um, someone having a heart, like a good soldier yeah. you know, and, and other things. So I started to catch on a little bit, but I wasn't ready for the revelation of him rising right. up out of the tub. I'm not ready for that. And the reason is far be it for me to, uh, to uh, you know, criticize the Jolly Roger, but I still think that, right, if you knew, okay, he's still alive, and you kind of know in the back of your mind anyway, because unless it's good, the whole thing's going to be, a, it was a dream, which would, would, would be a big betrayal of your trust as a viewer, it's still, it's still a great path, and, and who cares how quick it is at the end, it, it, the, the charm of the movie and the thrill of the movie is not the actual Agatha Christie revelation. The thrill is, like you said, the world building. So let me ask you this. What about the very, very end when the little kid says, no, I saw her, I saw her. What did you make of that? I don't know. I thought that it was, uh, th the movie goes in the same way that it uh, goes out the same way that it, that it comes in. And so it relies on the strength of the ensemble yeah. uh, just, just to have one moment of out. Because the kid's right in the beginning. It's funny because the kid did see. He's like, no, I saw him. I saw him. I saw him up there. So, of course, they punish him. And I love how they make him stand in the corner for like six hours, right? But then at the end, when he says that again, and I'm not saying like, is she really dead? I don't know. But it's just a great thing that that it seems like everything goes back to its its miserable normalcy at the school. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's actually what I like about the movie, meaning that nothing that happens in the, those little chambers in that apartment can can have any effect on the world. The world is so grungy, but also so stable uh, that it's such a nice counterbalance to uh, the dynamism of what's happening in this in this scenario. That I, I knew where the body is, and then it disappeared, and then the suit the suit shows up for the dry cleaner. I love that, and then it's got the hotel at the door. Yeah. So she tracks it to the hotel key where the inspector picks her up and gets in the car, and you're not sure who he is. Uh, yeah. It's it's all done. It's all done so beautiful. Like there's such little moments in this movie. Like the the soldier who wants the ride. Yeah, and he's yeah. He, he's a French soldier. Right. He's, he's either fighting in Algeria or he just fought in World War II, depending on when you think this movie takes place. And they have him climb over a woman into the back of her truck and then wet himself. Yeah. Just that's what I mean by the you know you start to trust the ensemble, but you realize that the the ensemble is so. Squalid and yet so predictably squalid, but still charming that it makes sense to go out on on that kid because that's yeah. that's kind of how the movie has been has been working itself. Those are its wheels, and yeah. so it's allowed to leap by its wheels that it's already established. Yeah, and those wheels are beautiful to look at, and they're so skillfully done. Last thing I'll say is, you know, Martin Amis once praised Elmore Leonard. He said he was he's the only person that writes re-readable thrillers. And I think that the, the reason that this film is so good is it's a rewatchable thriller. Nothing will be dampened in your enjoyment knowing the ending if you watch it again no likely likely greater i look forward yeah. to it i'm gonna i'm gonna let the movie rest for a couple of weeks and then give it another watch all right great so thanks for listening everybody uh we hope you'll follow us on twitter at 15 minute film at 15 min film and let us know what you want us to watch if you haven't seen diabolique uh as of this taping for free on it on, on amazon prime so let's go all right and like we said since you already know the ending if you haven't seen it already it's still great mm -hmm.